This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It's Friday, and that means it's time to take a look back at the last seven days and the top local stories that you should know, but you might have missed. Sit back for our weekly news recap. Brandon Johnson takes over City Hall as Chicago's most progressive mayor. We have to invest in people, and we have to do that without breaking the backs of working people with fines, fees, and property taxes. I like to thank Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her leadership of our city through turbulent times. Outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot is handing Johnson several crises, including an expected influx of asylum seekers and an anticipated spike in gun violence this summer. Joining me now to go behind this week's headlines, Chicago Tribune political reporter Alice Yin. Welcome back, Alice. Thank you. And Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5 Chicago. Good to have you back, Christian. Thanks, Sasha. And also with us, WBEZ Senior Editor for Politics and Government, Angela Rosa O'Toole. Hey, Angela. Hello. I want to give a special shout out to the folks who are watching us break down the week's news live right now. Let's wave, folks. They're on uh, WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. Hello. You can also watch the live stream on Reset's Facebook page. All right. So it was a big week, as you just heard, for Brandon Johnson. Uh, What were some of the main takeaways from his inaugural address. Alice, why don't we start with you? Yeah, um, I think the tone he struck really kind of resembled the change in just attitude in the entire city from four years ago, whereas, um, you know, Mayor Lightfoot came in and had really a tone of, we're going to clean up shop, we're going to go after the bad guys. And uh, Mayor Johnson really wanted to talk more about unity, um, optimism, and just a city just coming together after a really divisive four years. Mm -hmm. And uh, we kind of did still see the theme of progressive change and um, more anti-establishment themes. But overall, he is going to I think, try to lead with uh, trying to make people come together. Yeah. Christian, I tweeted earlier this week, this man has taken us to church. <laughs> did he you did. feel that way? I did. He's just, what, the preacher's son. So, I mean, you know, he really was at the pulpit uh, during that speech. I was outside, so um, I had to listen to it afterwards. But he really spoke of hope. Um, that's what a lot of people heard from him. And, uh, of course, we know this is a continuation of what Lightfoot has already done, of course, going all the way back to Mayor uh, Harold Washington days. So, you know, now it's time to get the work done. He's got a lot that is not working in his favor. You know, um, he doesn't have a whole lot of money. And he's got a lot of ideas, uh, a lot of social ideas that he really wants to improve community and things of that nature. So it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle. But um, he seems to have a lot of support on his side so far. He says he's ready. You know what else sticks out to me, Angela, is that repeated mention of the soul of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's definitely tapping into... You said his preacher days is, which we saw a lot of on the campaign trail. Um, he, you know, he's he's talking about this unity, and it, he's got to talk about the unity. I think um, from the perspective of such a close race, winning. Um, I found it. What struck me as interesting was the the definitely a difference of tone when it came to the city council um, with Mayor Lightfoot turning around and basically calling out the alderman she was going to have to work with for the next four years mm-hmm. and being like, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't remember what her words were specifically, but it was about reform and about, about change. You remember Christian? Oh, I will never forget that. Yeah. She <laughs> went right after him immediately. I mean, it was just amazing. Now, you know, he's got his, his plate is full. I mean, you've got this migrant issue. What are you going to do with that? You know, and that's something that was kind of unexpected. Oh, yeah. But what he did instead was turn around and applaud them. 
it was a very different tone. It was a very different moment. And I think he's looking for he he's looking for that consensus from the alderman in a way that is maybe different. And part of that might be the mandate of her lopsided win versus his very close win. Right, right. Well, how are the crowds on Monday, Alice? Uh, did, did a lot of people show up at, at UIC for the inauguration? Yeah, uh, definitely thousands there and um, a notable um, presence of unions, uh, like throughout the speeches, throughout the uh, performances, there were chants of uh, CTU, CTU, and um, SEIU, yeah. uh, his biggest labor supporters. Uh, the Johnson administration's distancing itself from uh, a tax plan that includes new taxes on the wealthy, uh, as well as big cuts for police. What are the details of that? Alice? Yeah, um, so it includes um, just a bundle of, uh, in total, $12 billion in both uh, new revenue and just cuts to the budget. And um, yeah, some of it were things he um, endorsed on the campaign trail, such as a financial transactions tax, a jet fuel tax. Um, others were um, things he did not um, support, but were kind of tied to him anyway, such as uh, the city income tax on people um, earning 100000 or more. Mm. But I see it as less indicative of like where his administration is at and more about this push and pull that's going to be a theme um, throughout his administration of, you know, the the progressive, the labor groups that supported him and the actual um, people in charge at City Hall and mm. the realities of, you know, governing with in an elected office. Yeah. How was the business community reacting to this proposal? Um, they did not like it, I but I... <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound like something yeah. that would make them happy. Yeah, but it sounds like they don't seem that concerned about it and they're just waiting to see what Johnson's administration would actually do, if anything, about it. Yeah. What about you, Angela and Christian? I mean, how controversial does this plan that's being floated around sound to you? I, it, yeah. I mean, Johnson has been tied to this quote city tax thing from the beginning, and yeah. his, his administration keeps pushing back, saying that wasn't our idea, but it was looped into this entire sort of working plan. Uh, it's. I think it's really interesting that this week, despite saying it's not our idea, they've also not completely ruled it out. It may just be too early. Look, what we're facing here is a potential funding crisis in his administration, and there's no denying that. Yeah. We've got a lot of federal money that's been um, buffering the administration, Lightfoot's administration. And, you know, he's going to face a real reality of financial crisis in the next within his potential term. So I think they have to be realistic and they're trying to be realistic about not overpromising or underpromising on any of these things. But um, obviously any of this would need to come through city council to get these kinds of budget things done. Yeah, and to that end, Alice, many of the ideas in the proposal, they require approval from Springfield, right? So right. Governor Pritzker already says he opposes the, the financial transaction tax. So again, how likely are we to see any of these changes actually happen? Um, I, I think that specific tax um, probably is at the bottom of the list of most likely to happen. Um, I think also, you know, the, the city income tax, um, there have been a lot of concerns raised over just having um, a flat like standard of 100,000, but you can't enact a graduated structure without, you know, changing the state constitution, I believe. So um, that also, you know, is fraught in terms of um, being realistically implemented. Yeah. Uh, so, but um, to Johnson's credit, he does seem to have a better working relationship with Springfield going in than Lightfoot did. So uh, maybe some push and pull could be made. Yeah. Well, one thing Johnson promised during the campaign was to reopen the city's mental health centers. Now, he shared that uh, his own brother's painful mental health crisis. Uh, he talked about that in his inaugural address. Let's listen. Because people like my late brother, Leon, who died addicted and unhoused, if only there was treatment. I want to make sure that no one ever has to suffer because they do not have access to mental health services. 
and people have told us no for too long. It's a matter of life and death. So let's bring together the private sector, the public sector, the county, the state, and the federal government to find the best solutions for delivering these services, including reopening our mental health care centers across the city of Chicago. Alice, how big of a challenge is it going to be for the mayor to get these mental health facilities reopened? Um, you know, um, legislatively, I'm not sure it's that much of a challenge. Um, I think it's more just the more philosophical philosophical question of uh, whether that is the right path for the city. Because um, Mayor Lightfoot, she also endorsed this on the campaign trail four years ago and then mm -hmm. backtracked, and she gave um, a moderately cohesive um, explanation of why, saying we can make much more impact if we fund through um, quote-unquote private or nonprofit clinics. And the numbers towards the end uh, were showing these clinics did not like serve as many people as we could have. But on the other hand, there is this um, question of do you want the purpose of government to serve um, you know, it's most vulnerable residents. And I think that is what really awakened the imagination of progressives. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with Chicago Tribune's Alice Yin, NBC5 Chicago's Christian Farr, and WBEZ's Angela Rosa O'Toole. A reminder, you can watch us break down the news right now. We are on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. You can leave us a comment or question. Talk to us in that YouTube chat box, and I may just read what you have to say about the stories on the air. Let's jump back to something Christian brought up earlier, which is this migrant crisis, right? Uh, another challenge on Mayor Johnson's plate here is the influx of migrants who have come to Chicago. He spent his first day in office visiting facilities um, that are housing asylum seekers. Where did he go, Alex? Uh, I believe he went to a police station in Little Village and then um, a separate uh, center run by a nonprofit in Pilsen. Do you know mm -hmm. if he talked directly with asylum seekers? Um, I didn't v view that part of the footage, but um, he definitely did walk inside and, you know, greet people inside, so probably. Yeah. Any thoughts of, of whether he might have come out of that with some new ideas or solutions? I think we're looking for, for solutions here. Well, I think you got to figure out what you're going to do because this is not stopping. You still have, you know, migrants coming from Texas, places like Florida, and they're, you know, they just come up uh, I know during Lightfoot's administration, they would just show up one day. Mm -hmm. I would get, you know, a source would call me and say, hey, we've got migrants coming in, you know, within three hours that we didn't know about. And then they've got to call over these agencies that are connected to the city to try and help those migrants out. But, you know, people are up for the challenge. And that was one of the things that uh, I talked to some of those organizations um, when Title 42 went away that, you know, we need to serve these folks. They're underserved. Um, they're going to be coming here. They're going to need places to stay. They're going to need resources. They're going to be taken care of. And it's sort of the idea, at least for those who want to serve that community, we're up for the challenge. But we also need some funding. So they're kind of going to the Biden administration saying, mm -hmm. hey, we're going to need some federal dollars to be able to take care of this because the city is stretched thin. They can't we don't have enough money to take care of all of this. Plus, try these social service programs to help those who already are citizens here. Um, in the United States and live in Chicago. Absolutely. Yeah, this next week is going to be really interesting, Sasha, because the, um, you know, Lightfoot in one of her outgoing sort of efforts pushed through this emergency or the committee pushed through an emergency $51 million funding that came out of committee. That's right. But not without some controversial sort of like some debate, rather. You have aldermen who are saying, you know, this is a humanitarian crisis and we need to deal with this as such. And you have other aldermen saying, I've already got a crisis in my community. I need money for the people who already live here. So this is coming up 
uh, before the full council in the coming week. So it's going to really be a moment for us to see a first test of the new council and to see Johnson's priorities and to see, as to your point, Christian, like where where the funding is going to come from. We have some emergency funds. Is this the moment where the city wants to put that money on what some perceive as an emergency? Let's talk about something you covered this week, Christian, because another challenge facing Johnson is crime, as we know. Uh, you covered an alarming incident. It, it caused an insane traffic backup on yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, that was a shooting on uh, 290. We still don't know all of the details. Two people um, shot, one deceased. Um, we're not even certain if another car was involved, so we're not 100 um, percent on the details there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, backed up 290 eastbound into the city. We're already dealing with, uh, you know, the construction season that has finally started here um, in Chicago. We've got, you know, it's bad on the Kennedy right now, especially heading inbound. Um, and we've had expressway shooting after expressway shooting. And um, I think even the numbers got skewed a little bit. At some point, somebody was reporting 60 expressway shootings so far, but maybe mm. in the 40s or something like that. Um, and there's a task force handling this. Um, and so in so, the few details that we have, we, we don't know who the shooters are or the motivation? Don't know. Yeah, and we don't know the motivation of it. But, you know, as soon as this thing happens and it happens, you know, at a prime time, it was in the morning, um, probably right after rush hour kind of slowed down, but then kind of fed into the afternoon rush. And so that creates a great deal of backups, but it's also a safety issue as well. I mean, we bumped into an individual who had already been in his own expressway shooting two months ago that still hadn't been investigated. Um, And he had the bullet hole in the back of his car. Um, You know, this is just a a constant story that I've been doing in the (laughs) 14 years I've I've been at NBC that uh, doesn't seem to be going away. And so, you know, that is something that's part of the Johnson administration. You know, this ongoing violence that doesn't seem to be um, sort of reducing, and there's a lot of effort in trying to help it, but mm-hmm. you know, what direction are we going to go in? He's inherited quite a bit. I want to go back to Monday's inauguration. Shortly after Johnson took his oath, Fred Waller took an oath uh, to be the interim police superintendent. What are you all hearing about him and just his credentials and what he might prioritize? Uh, yeah, I, I think he said himself um, in the press conference when he when his uh, pick was announced. Uh, he knows, like he says, I know I'm old school, but you know I'm old school with integrity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think his choice was, um, you know, approved by most of the rank and file who thought that that showed that Johnson cared about continuity and cared about someone of experience in the police department. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still, you know, remains to be seen uh, what where the bench will go for the permanent selection, um, and just in general how he will lead the police department after you know a pretty divisive campaign. Yeah, folks on your desk paying attention to Waller, Angela. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's always when you bring in a um, an existing um, um, officer, you know. Uh, executive in the in the police department there are questions about their past ties to um, police abuse scandals and reform um, I think and Alice, that came up for for Waller it did yeah and I think Alice is but there is a little bit of an element of like is this an example of Johnson's um, the direction that he intends to go with the police department or is this really just an it's interim, and there's got to be a process for a bigger picture individual. So, when I think of in, interim, in, you know, superintendents, some, sometimes you think of them as the quote unquote safe choice, if you will, something for continuity, something that's not going to be surprising, and someone often who doesn't want the job. So it's you know permanently. So Which it's he a question. Says he doesn't want it, right? So there's this talk of a nationwide surge. There's talk of within. So. 
I guess it just remains to be seen. I'm, I, I think, I think the folks who are going to be permanent is, or potential permanence is the more important sort of angle. Absolutely. Also at Monday's event, Mayor Johnson paid tribute to 24-year-old police officer Ariana Preston. She was uh, killed in an attempted robbery. Hundreds of mourners gathered on Wednesday for her funeral. Uh, that was was just heartbreaking to watch. Uh, Johnson did point out that the deaths of young people killed by police is is a tragedy. You know, the tears of Adam Toledo, his parents, the tears of Adam Toledo's parents are made of the same sorrow as the parents of Officer Preston's parents. What did everyone think in that moment when he made that that connection? Uh, you know, his line of thinking there, is it, in line with how you think the general public might be feeling? I think I thought it was one of the more striking lines of his right. speech. Yeah. And I feel like while, you know, the consensus is divided on the justification of that police shooting, I think people throughout Chicago do relate to, you know, the plight of family members, his parents, who, um, while they might have not been perfect, um, lost a son. Uh, but I think, you know, um, immediately there was a strong reaction from the police union president um, who is device of himself, but um, it, he kind of interpreted it to be like an opening salvo, I think is what he said. Mm. Um, so that kind of spells maybe a rocky relationship to start there. Yeah, I think yeah. that relationship was already rocky before that <laughs> statement yeah. anyway. You know, he was really pushing for Vallis and, and really wanted Vallis to be in office, but, uh, you know, um, and felt that Johnson was going to go in the opposite direction. So I don't know if that statement helps that relationship in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, I think it, you have to wait and see exactly what that relationship between police and Johnson is going to end up being. Um, because you, you do have a large number of African-American officers who are on the police department as well that may be in support of, uh, of Johnson. Uh, there are quite a, probably quite a few white officers as well that are in support of Johnson. And so this has just been on racial divides for a very long period of time. Yeah. We kind of have to move in a different direction and try to figure out how we can solve this problem without always bringing sort of race into it. Mm -hmm. That's a good place to take a pause. That's NBC5 Chicago reporter Christian Farr. We've got the Chicago Tribune's Alice Yin and WBEZ editor Angela Rosa O'Toole. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're back now with more Reset and more of our weekly news recap, which, by the way, you can watch right now on WBEZ's YouTube page and Reset's Facebook page. Speaking of social media, I want to remind you that our your favorite radio show, which is this one, we're on TikTok. So if you are on there too, give us a follow. Later on though, not not now, we're, we're busy. We're at WBEZ underscore reset. All right, let's jump back into the news. Today was supposed to be the final session day for Illinois lawmakers, but it'll take a bit longer to push a state budget over the finish line. Lawmakers missed a key deadline to move budget bills. At the same time, lawmakers are grappling over health care for undocumented immigrants. Illinois is ready for a third airport. This is clearly an opportunity and a step in the right direction for us to move forward and to revitalize the Southland. For the last 10 years, lawmakers have tried to get an airport built in Moni County. The idea passed yesterday would require the state to find partners for construction. Our panel today, Chicago Tribune political reporter Alice Yin, Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5 Chicago, and WBEZ senior editor for politics and government, Angela Rosa O'Toole. Okay, Angela. Lawmakers in Springfield, they've been trying to wrap up the spring legislative session, but to do that, they've got to take care of one last important piece of business, which is passing a state budget. So how likely is that to happen today? 
Ooh. It's Friday. Not likely. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just because we know procedurally there are some votes that have to happen in order for that to happen, and that didn't happen. So, you know, will they go through the weekend? Will they, uh, there's there's indications that we're hearing from the State House right now from our reporters out there that it's more likely next week, maybe even toward the end of the month. So there's some deadlines here that are set by state statute that you have to pass a budget. Um, I think it's officially fully uh, by June 30th. But but if you pass it by June 1st, you could do it with fewer votes. So there's mm. a real urgency. It's why every state house political reporter ends up working Memorial Day weekend for Kingdom Come, because that's kind <laughs> of like where the <laughs> where the power seat usually lies. They're trying to get that through by that date. So we, sh- we should be seeing some fireworks over the next week if they're not going to get things done today, which does not seem to be happening. Not likely. One obstacle has been a, a program that would provide health care for undocumented residents. What happened with that? Yeah, so this is interesting. Illinois has actually um, been expanding access to health care for und- undocumented immigrants for, for the last couple of years. Um, there is health care through a, a state program. First, they did it for seniors, and then that was back in 2020, I think. And then last year, they expanded it to people over the age of 42, I think, mm-hmm. 42 and older. And now they're coming back. And, you know, with this influx of migrants, with the with the healthcare needs, um, there's this effort to try to expand healthcare for the ages of 19 to 42. But what's the sticking point right now, right now, as, as we understand it, is how much is that going to cost? Mm. So there's estimates from advocates for it that it's going to cost about $200 million. There's um, some reports, however, from the state that says it's going to be twice that. So this is, a, this is brewing to be a big battle over how much of this they want to expand and how much they want to do now, how much might be later, and who's going to, to back that and how much it's going to cost. Um, there is some, ex, you know, there's some expert testimony, however, on the other side that says, by providing this kind of basic level health care now mm-hmm. at the upfront, you end up saving money in the long run. You reduce the amount of emergency care. Um, but this is this is the sort of like longstanding battle of providing free health care for people who can't afford it mm-hmm. and whether it costs more now or more later. Mm, I see. Well, I want to walk through some of the um, the bills lawmakers have been working on. Let's start with the one that would mandate uh, pay transparency. Oh, yeah. What an interesting one, right? So mm-hmm. if you ever wondered yeah, my face lit up how much that. you... Pay transparency. <laughs> <laughs> how much is that new job I've been thinking about getting? Uh, well, this is the bill for you because this mandates transparency in how jobs are posted. Um, so for every firm that's 15 employees and more, you need to put na- uh, a, a, a pay scale and descriptions of what that pay entails, including things like benefits, like, you know, your big bonuses that you get, Christian, you know, your million dollar bonuses. Sorry, and how do you spell bonus? <laughs> <laughs> that's supposed to be included on that. Um, and, and so there, there was a little bit of wrangling over what this would potentially this could potentially cost, but it, it essentially did get passed, and um, it's it's up to the to the governor to sign it. There's one little asterisk, of course. This would go into effect in 2025. So if you're looking for a new job between now and then, uh, you may not expect it. There's some other um, teeth to it, though. Violations for not doing this could result in investigations by the Department of Labor. Mm. You can report that job that you wanted to get in a couple of years and say they, they're not doing some pay disparity. Um, and the idea here is to, to account for the potential for pay disparity. I see. And, pay, you know, like folks getting paid different amounts for the same kinds of jobs. Um, and this and, passed in the House? 
I think it's gone through both. Yes. Through both. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Uh, a bill that passed, Christian, uh, that will impact gun manufacturers. Tell us about that one. What should we know? Yeah, this is the uh, Illinois Senate passes a bill to create a firearm industry industry responsibility act. Big deal. Um, and so what this would allow the attorney general's office to pursue the firearm industry for civil liabilities. And, you know, there's a lot of issues out there with the gun industry. And, of course, when we're talking every time we have a mass shooting, this all seems to come up. Um, so they talk about uh, three different failures. One of those failures being with the industry is to regulate the sale of guns, especially when it comes to straw purchases. We always talk about this um, as being a very big deal. Mm-hmm. Um uh, of course, the Republicans kind of pushing back on this because this is a Democratic-led uh, effort. Um, and, of course, they feel it's just really a blank slate for wherever the office holder happens to be to go and do whatever they want to do uh, as it relates um, to this bill. Um, you know, that's how the government runs. We're supposed to restrain it. Mm-hmm. And this act is a step in the wrong direction. Um, the other thing that they also want to do with this, because uh, it's three major things, The second thing is the marketing of guns to children under the age of 18. And the third is the marketing of guns, referencing illegal use, such as showing somebody using a gun for paramilitary purposes, Mm. um, which, of course, you know, might inflame someone to go out, buy a gun, do something um, nefarious. So uh, this is a way to sort of control um, gun sales and in a certain way we'll see how it goes. But I know this was a big push by Kwame Raul. Yeah, yeah. A significant change to to the current law, it sounds like. Uh, so, Alice, here's where we see how many car puns I can fit into into, <laughs> into one, one question. So uh, let's turn to a uh, bill that Uber and Lyft tried to put the brakes on. Uh, it didn't stall, though, instead making its way through the House and Senate. Can you get us up to speed? Yeah. Um, so this would just <laughs> be a bill that would hold uh, rideshare companies liable if harm came to their passenger in addition to the driver. Um, and I think this is just a continuation of this evolving uh, like dynamic we have where rideshare companies were initially pitched as this you know, cheaper um, alternative to taxis and cabs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're seeing them starting to lose some of their control over not having as many regulations. Um, and stuff governing them, and now um, it remains to be seen where the landscape goes from there. Yeah, these are common carrier safety standards, they say. Um, Yeah, and and let's shift to some good news here, Angela. For those who are thinking about college, uh, lawmakers passed a bill that's guaranteeing credit for community college. What are the important details here? Yeah, this is an interesting one. So, you know, I think the, the idea here is to make sure that when you are taking college courses that the ones that you take are transferable. I think there's some, been some issues that um, college students have found that, that some credits that they took at some colleges were not applicable and not transferable to others. So this is trying to sort of mandate a, a, a view or a sphere by which these college credits need to be um, transferable to all public colleges and universities in the state. So um, it's gotten some support and it could be really helpful, I think, to, especially to folks who go to sort of smaller, smaller colleges and making sure that the majors that they take, that the college courses that they take um, get transferable. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with the Chicago Tribune's Alice Yin, NBC5 Chicago's Christian Farr, and WBEZ's Angela Rosa O'Toole. Christian, the Bears 
They seem to be making progress on getting tax incentives from the state for their suburban stadium plan. What's the latest there? Wait a second. The Bears are leaving? They're leaving Chicago. Me? I don't know if you've been paying attention, but no, what's happening I is... I played at Soldier Field. I can't believe it. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the push is, is really going, I think. Was They're a the Arlington of, Bears now. Yeah, the Arlington Bears. Um, so, you know, after months of stalled efforts, the Bears have finally are getting somewhere in Springfield to obtain uh, some tax incentives to move the team to that new stadium and sort of that complex that they want to build. Um, so this latest proposal is more focused on spreading the wealth elsewhere, like giving it to communities that would be hit by traffic, also to the Chicago Park District, um, to help with paying off that remaining debt from the last uh, Soldier Field um, revamp that happened. So this is being pushed by uh, State Rep Marty Moylan. He is a Democrat out of Des Plaines, um, received it pretty favorable preliminary hearing at the Illinois House Committee. Um, and so labor support um, is is there, too, um, mm. in terms of a friendly clause that's in there as well. The Bears released a statement saying that they're encouraged by the progress um, and that the Moylan proposal provides an excellent foundation for a final version of all of this. So the new bill would still freeze Bears property taxes indefinitely on the Arlington International Racecourse site, which is where they want to put this new stadium, with the team paying a negotiated increment on top of that for the schools and other local taxing bodies. Um, so they still have mm. to pay back the city. But. So so this bill, it would also it would put this $3 surcharge mm -hmm. on every ticket for a Bears game at the new, uh, at the new stadium, with money going to pay off uh, the Chicago Park District's $631 million debt on Soldier Field. Do we think Brandon Johnson will be on board? Um, well, I just want to interrupt and say, you know, Hail Mary pass or what, what's a late breaking <laughs> sports analogy? <laughs> the uh, Hail Mary is pretty good. But that that's actually something successful. So yeah. unfortunate, fumble, fumble, fumble. fumble. <laughs> uh, because I think in the last like 48 hours, there's actually been, um, um, you know, Moylan is actually saying, I need more time. Right. I need some more time to make this happen. Bears are going to look at it over the summer. So they're they're punting. If I, I don't know how many I can get in. <laughs> you they're, already got three in. Yeah, Thank that's you. Good. They're really punting good. to reassess the lineup. Yes. Uh, toward toward the fall. So this thing is. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. This thing is. You know, the Bears. This this particular bill, the Bears money, Arlington. This has been the thing that everybody in the state house, my folks, have been looking at, and it just seems like, oh, it's not a slam dunk. I did. I switched sports. <laughs> Oh my uh, God! For now. Now. I think so you're okay I don't know. by doing that. Okay. <laughs> I almost said it's like we could talk about what Johnson wants out of it. He wants money. Everybody wants money. Right. Like before they're gonna let the you know he he was talking on the campaign trail. He was I'm gonna make a play mm, for <laughs> for the Bears. Sorry, I'm just killing everybody. If, Angela, if you're not you watching on YouTube, you should see the faces. <laughs> I think you're doing a great job of disgust as I break down. Hop over to YouTube and Facebook right now. That's your. There's your reason if you needed one. Uh, Neo need Squirrel, one of our friends on YouTube, says, "Given they haven't earned a ring since the '80s, good. The McCaskies have been a bane on the team." <laughs> Jose Fernandez Jr. Hey, Jose says, uh, no matter where they go, they will always be the pride and joy of Illinois. Mm. Doesn't have to be Chicago. See, Christian, I, that's a big thinker. I don't Come on, know. Oh, be more like Jose. Feet? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I'm not from here, so I'm not a diehard Bears fan. So I, I get it. I understand why 
they want to go to Arlington. I get it. All right. More business to take care of, Angela. And we're going to stay in Springfield. Lawmakers passed a bill that would prevent anti-abortion pregnancy centers from using deceptive practices. This is interesting stuff here. What's happening? This is really interesting. You know, Illinois being a safe sort of harbor state for abortion, but there are still, you know, plenty of uh, pushback across the state. One, What we're talking about here are these sort of clinics and individuals who um, stand outside of Planned Parenthood or maybe they build clinics across the street from Planned Parenthood. And they're, they're, sort of, they're called crisis centers. Mm-hmm. And the idea um, behind the crisis centers is to tr- try to give alternative options for women uh, and people who are pregnant who may be showing up for an abortion. Uh, what this law is intended to do uh, as, a, as the framework is to crack down on deceptive practices by these organizations. There were there was talk about how you might stand on a corner and, and you know, have a clipboard. And when somebody drives up, you're like, oh, yeah, you need to go over there um, and sign up. And they actually send them to a crisis pregnancy center mm-hmm. um, where they would try to attempt to convince them not to persuade have, them to. Right. So that's what this bill was intended to try and tamp down on um, or to eliminate the pushback um, from conservatives and others is um, give me the evidence of this actually happening in Illinois. Is this really happening that they're going to this extent? And why are we passing a bill doing this? And they're also claiming First Amendment rights, um, you know, uh, saying we have a right to stand on a sidewalk and try and discourage people from from going to abortions. Uh, clinics. And so there's this sort of question of where will the line be drawn between what is perceived to be a deceptive practice? Uh How are you going to mandate that? And and what could that mean? So lots of questions about this, but uh, it's sure to get support from the governor who has been very pro-abortion. It's almost all the way. Mm -hmm. We just need that that signature from Pritzker. Mm -hmm. Christian, a a decades old idea to add a third area airport that seems to be taking off. Yes, it is. Uh, General Assembly approving the South Suburban Airport Bill. Um, and so this is going to be near Piatone in Will County. Uh, it's a big boost. Uh, came uh, Wednesday night when the Illinois State Senate approved a bill that requires the Illinois Department of Transportation to solicit proposed designs from developers. Um, so there is still some pushback from environmentalists um, about this proposal. And they oppose the airport, saying that it's going to damage um, the tall grass prairie that is there, um, saying that the habitat is especially important for grassland birds whose populations are rapidly decreasing. So this is one of the reasons there's there's pushback. Um, but um, Congresswoman Robin Kelly really pushing this this airport would be in her district. Mm-hmm. And so it's a cargo airport, even though it's being pushed for air travel and domestic and global freight cargo, mm-hmm. but really for cargo travel as well. Governor, not not as committal on this just yet. Um, you know, uh, he is uh, quoted as saying, you know, what you don't want is uh, if you build it, they will come. Just build anything and hoping that they will show up to essentially pay for the airport. Mm. Having been built, you need to make sure you're building it because you have interest from cargo carriers who are committing to make that a cargo airport. So you need that committal already before you just go ahead and build an airport. Yeah, Neo Squirrel on YouTube weighed in again saying uh, the Piatone Airport's actually largely in Moni, uh, causing eminent domain of farmland, hundreds of homes nestled in woodland areas, and, and it will devastate the entire area around a nature and water preserve. Yeah, there's been a lot of pushback over the years um, in, in it, the reporting that I've read. It could also be really interesting to see what happens 
from the governor, but also from the city of Chicago, because this Piatone airport idea, cargo or not, yeah. has been bounced around for quite some time. So every time this thing comes up, like state, state, this, this state, conversation again, state house reporters are like, D- is this the time we actually have to pay attention to this thing now or not? Because I'm, I'm talking back to the, you know, back to the dailies. This was and a George Ryan project. The, the And the pushback becomes uh, always the money for O'Hare and Midway, right? You've got two major airports and do we want another one in in the sort of relative and what money would be spent toward that so they're pushing this as a cargo plan it's kind of interesting but there's a long way to get this thing off the runway <laughs> okay I'm, I'm i'm done with Is that you. like yeah. the eighth one today <laughs> probably uh if anyone's been keeping track before we take a, a quick break uh, alice is it true that the um illinois state flag that might get a makeover uh yes uh bill uh <laughs> to um, establish a commission to first explore whether they need a new flag, and then if the answer is yes, submit up to 10 designs. Um, and I mean, what do you guys think? Do we need a new flag? Can I have an opinion on this? Um, mm. Have you seen the flag lately? <laughs> it's, it is a, it is, describe it. Go ahead, go ahead. Can't, some no. kind of no. some kind of We're thing. We're trying to be good. We're I'm trying to be good. And uh, I don't want to Google it, so. Right, because it's Mm-mm. not a standout flag. Yeah. It's not like the Chicago flag. The Chicago the flag Chicago is standout. It's I mean. not memorable. It's no. not memorable. It so no. Cook County redid theirs and had a nice contest, and I think that one is, is pretty cool looking. So if I can have an opinion... Uh, you would I'm, say yes to I'm, a new flag. I, you know, I'm open to that. I don't <laughs> as know. As long as you have a pun, you can have an I opinion. don't have a pun. I'm stopping. Darn, uh, okay. <laughs> we'll take a quick pause. We'll return with our guests, Alice Yin of the Chicago Tribune, NBC5 Chicago reporter Christian Farr, and WBEZ editor Angela Rosa O'Toole. They're going to stick around. We hope you will, too, because there is actually more news. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just joining us, it's our weekly news recap. And with me are three world-class local journalists, Chicago Tribune political reporter Alice Yin, NBC5 Chicago reporter Christian Farr, and WBEZ senior editor for politics and government, Angela Rosa O'Toole. We are still live on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages for those who prefer to watch the shenanigans. All right. This week, the U.S. Supreme Court weighed in on a challenge Alice, this is to Illinois' assault weapons ban. So much back and forth here. Give us the latest. Yeah, um, so the U.S. Supreme Court declined to issue um, an emergency injunction to suspend the ban, which doesn't necessarily mean they're weighing in on either side, but it just means that they're going to let the arguments continue in the Illinois Supreme Court um, and, you know, lower courts um, before they um, see how it unfolds. Um, So, yeah, that's ongoing right now. Yeah. I want to turn to another story, Angela. This one's by our WBEZ colleague, Dave McKinney. Uh, Power company ComEd is paying legal bills for two former executives who were recently convicted of bribery. Yeah, so it's the parent company of ComEd Exelon that um, has been paying throughout the trial that just ended a couple weeks ago. um, Two top executives were found guilty of this bribery scheme, and um, Dave dug in and said, who's paying their legal bills? Well, it turns out it's Exelon, the parent company, which is interesting because... You know, there's this argument, ComEd went into a deferred prosecution agreement, fancy words to say, we say we did it, but please don't prosecute us, um, paid up $200 million in fines, saying that they had taken part in this bribery scheme. That was a couple of years ago. And ever since then, however, the individuals who were charged in this scheme, uh, because of a contract that they have, an indemnity clause, 
Exelon has to pay their legal bills. The question here will be, who pays for it in the end? Mm -hmm. uh, Exelon claims not you and I, not the ratepayers. And then the second question, you know, they've been found guilty. There's going to be an appeals process. This costs millions of dollars to defend these individuals. Um, if nothing happens and they stay guilty, will Exelon then try to claw the money back and get it back from them? Some corporate do-gooder types say this is what you should do. Um, to sort of show that, like, you, you can't commit crimes and then have your company pay for you yeah. and your legal defense. Uh, others say, you know, it could be really, really difficult. Well, you know what folks are asking online right now? Our mm. friend Shamrock Bloom says, how is that legal? How is it legal to It's just bananas that ComEd is paying those legal bills. I mean, it's, uh, again, it's the parent company, but um, it's 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 part of contract. It, well... We're not guilty until proven, proven guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so they're defending their own employees for acts that happened during their employment. So they're not representing them on a murder trial. They're representing them for wrongdoing alleged to have done while they were in office. So yeah. you know you can you can see it, but it you know it definitely is it's costly, and um, you know it's there there are no laws that prevent them from doing that. Let's pivot, Alice, over to the western suburbs, shall we? This this story involves the former Kane County Circuit Clerk. Fill us in. Uh, yeah, he was found uh, dead um, in an apparent suicide, um, and he had an upcoming court date. Um, Thomas Hartwell. Right? Yeah, um, regarding you know um, a, a case in which he is alleged to have um, uh, diverted county funds to um, an associate in exchange for kickbacks. Um, that. Uh, associate has his own case ongoing, but it, now it's kind of up in the air on how um, that um, the evidence will be played without um, a key uh, witness or someone involved too. Right, because he's he's now he's now gone. Um, Christian, something else that you worked on this week that I, I wanted to touch on. This has to do with fentanyl overdoses. We know that that's on the rise across the country, but how is Chicago tackling the problem right now? So there's a community activist, a pastor on the west side, who has sort of made it his mission to try and address this problem, especially around his church. Um, he has photographed people who he has identified as um, having a drug issue. And you, I mean, you can just tell that the, by the way they look and, and how they're walking down the street. And, um, and so he really wants to try and help. Uh, this problem rather than arrest people out of it, which is what we've kind of stopped doing. And so he's put together a survey with the help of certain federal agencies, and he's going to the community and asking them to answer the survey. Do you, you, know, do you witness opioid fentanyl use? Um, what are the effects? Things of that nature. And he's going to take that back to those federal agencies and, and hopefully figure out solutions. If it's to try and figure out more drug treatment centers, um, trying to figure out how we can slow down fentanyl going into these communities because it's not produced there. Um, and so he's trying to create some sort of solutions to end this problem that he's been seeing just grow in the past few years. And, mm. and we know that that uh, certain communities in Chicago have, have drug problems and so that they need to be addressed because, you know, people are just uh, possibly dying on the street each and every day. And those numbers keep rising. I mean, uh, we looked at some numbers for opioid deaths and they nearly doubled between 2017 and 2021. They haven't even been able to compile all the deaths for 2022 and 20. Yeah. And of course, not 2023 yet because we're not done. But uh, the assumption is we're going to thousands, we're already no longer hundreds. Trending yes, pretty high. Uh, something else I want to touch base with you on, Christian, is is this writer strike. It's still going. Writers here, though, in in Chicago, they hit the picket lines on Wednesday. Remind us why they're on strike in the first place. So, um, 
you know, the, the, the old school method is, is that, you know, writers would write for a show and they wouldn't have this downtime. Um, they'd be contracted and be paid all the way through. But now with streaming coming in, which is changing our industry as well, we're streaming this. Um, and so they, the pay scale has gone from one number down to another number, which is, of course, lower. Mm -hmm. And so um, they're in debate with the Alliance of uh, Motion Picture and Television Producers um, to make sure that they're not working from gig to gig. So it's almost like I'm working like a freelancer. I'm going to work on, on this for a certain number of days, and then I'm not working, but I'm not getting paid. So yeah. they can't make a living wage. Um, and so with streaming coming in, it kind of changes the game. There's also this whole question about AI as well. You Which know. is a sign of the times. Yes. I mean, using you know something like ChatGPT to, to create your show rather than going to a person who's actually studied writing, has written for shows successfully. Um, so they're trying to figure out some middle ground that they can get to. So they were protesting actually out in front of um, the NBC Tower in front of our building the other day. Right. Um, you know, th but this is a nationwide effort to try and figure out some sort of deal um, so these writers can get paid appropriately mm -hmm. rather than see their wages go down. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a very important issue. I'm also a part of uh, the Screen Actors Guild as well. Um, and so, you know, we are supporting... Uh, everyone in this and and hopefully there'll be some sort of resolution that will happen absolutely let's um let's take a look at the legacy of a chicagoan who some saw as a trailblazing innovative entrepreneur uh, but many in journalism especially at the chicago tribune and tribune owned papers they remember him very differently billionaire real estate developer sam zell died yesterday at the age of 81 i know angela you worked at the uh, the tribune when zell bought it back in 2007 Quickly, just take us back to that time. Yeah, I was there. Um, I was a reporter back then. It was a moment of, um, there was a lot of uh, uncertainty at the Tribune at that time. Um, and so at the, you know, the beginning and the takeover, there were hopes that someone had hope um, and, and believed in the organization. Um, he bought it in a heavily sort of leveraged deal, a stock ownership plan. Uh, came in with a lot of bravado. I still remember him standing in front of the room of, of suited um, Chicago Tribune uh, business types with their ties. And he had his crew no ties. And very soon after that, lots of ties disappeared at the yeah. Chicago Tribune. <laughs> uh, he was definitely a, a sort of larger than life type of character. Yeah. And um, But eventually, um, the deal that he had, it uh, there was a huge loss. And revenue never came back. And we ended up in uh, the Tribune ended up in bankruptcy, for which um, mm. thousands of jobs were lost. He got out of the deal. I mean, his death, I think, is a complicated one for people who've ever worked there. He's had lots of successes in his life. Uh, the son of Polish immigrants definitely had um, has, has revered in a lot of circles for what he was able to do, but in the journalism world, much much more difficult, sort of complicated um, relationship. Yeah. Well, we will end on that note. That is WBEZ's Angela Rosa O'Toole. We had the Chicago Tribune's Alice Yin and NBC Five Chicago's Christian Farr. Thank you all so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Sasha.